All right, Tim Dimegan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being a part of it. Thanks, Mike. My pleasure. So I was really excited. We were talking last week about, um, you know, everyone's excited to rebound in 2021 and everyone's got lots of great ideas. And on top of it, you also don't always want to look at capital expenditures. And uh, you and I were talking about what are some things people in manufacturing can do that maybe don't cost a lot of money. It's maybe internal things, maybe you're maximizing what you already have. And you put together a top 10 list. And uh, in case it's too much, I'll put the whole list in the description. People want to look at that, follow up with you. But if you've got like a favorite few, let's do those in priority order and see how far we get. Yeah, that sounds that sounds great, Mike. And yeah, I would say what I've done here is that these are folks, I, I primarily work with industrial companies, so manufacturing, distribution, and consumer products. Um, but I try to also keep these relatively generic so they, they can apply to almost any type of company and not super specific. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun topic. I actually yeah. reached out to some, some of my colleagues and, and got a bunch of input, uh, for this. Um, and the, the, the first one I want to share with you is, uh, it's about, it's a, it's about metrics and KPIs. Um, and, and the, the one that came up to, for me to start with, cause it's, I know it's a topic everybody brings up, but, uh, actually talking to my son this morning about our conversation now, he, he asked me to, to go into it. And, and I asked him, have you ever heard of the Hawthorne effect? And he had, well, I haven't. what's that? Okay. Uh, such a awesome topic. So like a hundred years ago, a guy named Hawthorne decided to study because electricity was relatively new and they put new lighting in a factory and he studied what impact it had on the productivity of the workforce. And they found 15% improvement related to this improved lighting. Well, what they figured out over time, because after he was done with the study, they left the lighting in place, the productivity went back down. And what oh, they I eventually did. Yes. And then, then they turn it back down and the productivity went up again and they turn it back. It's, it's sort of well, like the it, it was, it was, it had nothing to do with the lighting. Okay. It had to do with the fact that people were watching. Okay. And so having a metric and, and it by itself will increase productivity, but here's the, the other part is it also, it's only for a time. If you do nothing with it, it'll evaporate. Like, like, uh, if, if you know, someone's, you know, if you're a kid and you know, someone, everybody can see you if you go to the cookie jar, but one time you go to the cookie jar, and nobody says anything. You're like, well, awesome. <laughs> you know, and you don't care that they're watching. You just go to the cookie jar. And, and, uh, and in this sense too, it's, it's um, so, but here, here's a very specific option. Um, in a menu, mostly often in a manufacturing setting or distribution, you would develop a schedule for the day of what people should accomplish. What we see in many, many cases is that sometime the next day or at the end of the week, they'll have a production meeting to review the performance of that shift and, and go through any learnings and, and all that good stuff. What, here, here's the improvement. And this is what we do in almost every project we end up doing for a company is you take that eight hour or whatever the schedule is and you break it into hourly buckets and you say, in this hour, you should produce this much and do that for every hour of the day and then you train your supervisors to go around each hour 
And if they've hit it, great, celebrate it, move on. If they haven't hit it or they're struggling, then the supervisor stays there and helps them problem solve to get back on track. Okay. It's, it goes from, you know, it's like you go from being a post-mortem where you're just sort of kicking the dead or, you know, looking at what happened in the past, but you can't do anything about it anymore to you're now playing in the game and you're now making it happen. If we say 15% from the Hawthorne effect, but someone who goes to this level and they develop a good metric and uh, on what they should be accomplishing that day. And then you go there every hour and help. We see 20 to 25% all the time. Wow. And, and here's the important thing, you know, your CapEx, the capital involved to do this is a whiteboard for each line and a marker. Okay. You don't have to have the big fancy screens with all the metrics updated automatically. No, yeah. you just sit down. What am I making today? And if I make this today, what it should it be every hour? That's the first one. Now, Metrics is also, you can apply the same concept though to things like safety, you know, safety, quality, cost, delivery, morale are the big topics in any company. Okay. Right. And, and for each one, there's very good things to look at in safety. There's, you know, most companies have workman's comp or every company has workman's yeah. comp. There's a modifier that everybody has. If you have a modifier of one, that means you're pretty much at the norm for what they expect in terms of safety or risk for your workforce. If you're above one, you're paying a double premium. You're paying a premium on the premium because they think you're more dangerous or your workforce gets into is struggles more. And it's often because of your history. If you have a bunch of people throwing their back out or people getting hurt or whatever, your, your mod rate goes up. So for me, this is a very specific thing. Look at your mod rate. And if it's above one, yeah. <laughs> dive in. Okay. Like that's, that's pretty clear. Um, the next one on quality. Uh, most people, most companies take scrap very seriously. Although I will also share with you that in some industries like food manufacturing, for example, there's a pretty high tolerance for scrap. And there's one of the things we've always seen is you can, there's a designed scrap, which is the amount of scrap you have to have just because when you start your line and end it, there's going to be some stuff at the beginning and the end that is by design, it's going to be scrap. You have to throw it away. Everything else is undesigned scrap and it's waste. And, um, so cl- diving in on scrap rate, if your scrap rate is meaningfully above your designed required scrap rate, that's a huge opportunity. And here's the other one that goes with it, rework. So I was one time working in a chocolate factory and a lot of the weight, I think at least one of the chins that I have came from working on that job. <laughs> um and uh, so we, we asked them, hey, what's your, what's your, you know, waste from production? And they're like, oh, it, it's zero. I'm like, really? It's zero. How is it zero? 
because no one has zero. And he goes, well, we just take the bars that we have to throw away. And instead of throwing them away, we remelt them and make them into bars so we don't lose anything. But, and I get it, like rework in a sense is better than scrap because at least you get to do something with it. However, recognize this, you're paying to pro make that chocolate bar twice. Right, 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 right. Your cost for production of the chocolate bar you've paid twice. So look at look at uh look at your rework as well as scrap levels. Um delivery is another really good you know, this is your big service metric, right? you do you do you deliver products to your customers when they expect you to deliver it to them? Yeah. And and we run into companies too often that uh they alter the definition. They change, like if they'll update the date based on when they end up delivering it. Um, so their numbers look okay. But at the end of the day, here's the key. For all of your order customer orders that come in and you agree to a due date, do you deliver on that date in full and accurately? And we've had when, and, and here's the thing, and this is really important for any metric, is metrics are meant to start a conversation. They're not meant to be a conclusion. Right. Okay. We literally had a client that thought that they were at like 60% on time delivery. Okay. And they hired us because that was a problem. But when we dug into it, we actually found that for the period of time we looked at, they were at 0%. They had never once shipped an entire order on time accurately in that past year. Everything was back ordered. They had shipped, shipped at least two orders, two shipments on every order, tons and tons of waste. And it made their customers very unhappy. Um, and so like the key here, and this really reflects, um, uh, relates to other topics when we're talking about problem solving, it's so common to get into a, a ego or a blame kind of situation or atmosphere. This is purely, I just want to understand what's happening. And you know what? And I, one thing I've worked at probably a thousand companies, maybe more. And one thing I've learned over and over again is everybody, 95% plus of people are doing the best they can. They want to do a good job. Absolutely. When they don't do a good job, it's because they haven't been given the right system, tools, preparation, training, or motivation, or whatever. So, like, just forget about the being angry part, and it's just, like, let's look at the data and then fix it. Yeah. Well, it's funny, because that one almost seems like it folds back into your first one. It's have a number, but have the number be a real number. Yes. There and you're doing something. Yes. Like then, we're looking at on-time delivery, and we're being truthful with ourselves. We'll see the place. That yes. Is that the idea? It, it, it's exactly, exactly. It, it, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Um, one other one I just want to talk about cost, I think is, well, I'll, I'll mention this too real quick. On cost, I would look at two things that are kind of interesting in many cases. What One of them is overtime, right? Which is kind of obvious that that's a big, it can be a big waste. Not always. Again, it's meant to start a conversation, but when there's overtime, you have to at least ask the question, what's going on that we have overtime and why can't we make it in the regular eight hour day and look at our 
look at our performance, how we're working, our, our layout, and see if we can't get it right. The other one is labor utilization. Um, and I'll give you a quick story. We worked at a company that made makeup. So they would make, they'd have a big pot that was really hot and they would mix all the ingredients and make a liquid that would then be poured into uh, um, bottles that would be shipped out um, to the customer. And we did time studies on, on their production and found out how long it took them and how many people to run each product. We then went back and reran their entire month using their numbers on their people and compared it to what they actually paid people for that month. Oh, wow. Okay. And less than 30% of the hours they paid for actually reflected in what they produced. Okay. So that, like, that's just a good thing to understand is how much of time, how much of the time we're paying people for go into actually producing product. And when there's a gap like that, that's when you go back and look at, is there rework? Is there scrap? Is there significant downtime? Um, are we just scheduling poorly where we bring people in and we don't need them to come in? What's going on? Like you just use that as another data point to, to start a conversation. Yeah. Well, funny because where we started this is, you know, what are some ideas you can do without, you know, new capital expensive? And, you know, all these are, you know, being honest with yourself, looking at your yeah. own. And it's funny because the, the way that I, I see a lot of um, you know, clients we deal with and probably you've dealt with too is they want to add machines and add people and all oh. the things that just make what we're talking about. It's yeah. a problem. Drives me nuts. And then that costs money. That costs yep. money. And, and uh, you know, and ongoing uh, expenses too. Um, and, it, you know, what else do you see people doing that's sort of one of those, like, instead of doing something that wouldn't cost you anything, like looking at your numbers, what are other things people do? So, the, you know, that's the biggest one. I, I do want to mention the last area, which is morale, because that one, it's the soft stuff is the hard stuff. If your people are stressed, there's a problem. There's a problem. People should not be stressed at work. Okay, so that's the main one. If you see it, look, talk to your people if they're stressed recognize, like dig in to find out what the problem is. Um, the, uh, you know, in terms of like, to answer your question on that, on what's something else that, that we're doing that's, that kind of leads to day-to-day -day waste. And I, I would focus on sourcing. And the reason I focus on sourcing first is for most manufacturing distribution companies, the cost of purchase goods and services can be 60 to 80% of the cost of doing business. And routinely it's, um, it, it's the, I'll give you, I'll give you the, routinely it, it's not being, um, it's not, you're not getting the leverage and the benefit out of it that you would hope to. And, you know, here's a, an example from just the past year with the COVID situation, uh, PPE, became like, you know, toilet paper, paper towels, all that kind of stuff became a hot commodity and companies. And, and here's just in this example, if you just, if you, if your relationship with your suppliers is simply, I'm going to shop this to get the lowest price per unit that I can get. Then when stuff happens, you've got like no, no standing with your suppliers. Yeah. 
And I'm not suggesting we start throwing money around to make suppliers happy at all, but having a thoughtful designed approach to sourcing in, in risk management is huge. And um, one real quick story on this that happens all the time. Uh, we, we were doing a diligence or a study on a, with a company and I asked their buyers um, for their biggest supplier. This was a company that made cardboard uh, uh, printed product and their paperboard producer was their biggest supplier. And I asked them, you know, are they a good supplier? And they're like, they're awesome. We call, they're here like that. They're extremely responsive. They fix everything right away. I'm like, that's phenomenal. You know, it's great to have a relationship like that. I said, how about though on the rates? Do you have, are you competitive? They, and they, it was like, they looked around to like, make sure no one was listening. They're like, look, we haven't had a price increase in 10 years. Oh my God. And, and so, you know, Obviously, in the interview, I was just like, hey, thank you. That's really exciting. But the implication is they've been overpaying for 10 years. The only reason they didn't get a pay increase or price increase was the supplier didn't have to give them one. Yeah. And, and here's if the, the, the thing that comes out of this is some people think that a long-term relationship with a supplier means you have a partnership. An evergreen contract that never ends is a partnership. And, and here's what I will say. It is not. And I'm not, I love long-term agreements, but you need to test it every couple of years. You know, there's thing you put it out to bid, use this um, a group purchasing organization. There's many ways to go about this, but if you haven't negotiated with a supplier in the last three to five years for your major spend, do it. It doesn't, and there's ways to do it. I know I'm giving a very general yeah. thing here. Like I'm not suggesting you go and beat on their door and say, give me, give me more money or whatever. It, but there's a, there's a great way to go about it. Well, that's very helpful. It's change and you know, the economics of the two businesses change all that kind of thing. Uh, yep. You know, if, if I can go back a little bit, um, I was really curious when you talked about morale. Um, and one of the things I hear the most when I talk to people now is, you know, we've all been dealing with, uh, whatever, you know, the quarantine or, or COVID has done to businesses for 10 months now, 10 and a half months. Um, and morale is uniformly lower. Let's say, let's say at least it, it probably didn't make things better. Um, so I'm just curious for you, just as kind of a, a app on our, our conversation here, what are things you've seen that really work? Cause you know, yep. manufacturers, cause we're in a lot of different industries. I'm so better. glad you asked that question, Mike, cause it actually leads into the third topic that I would love to talk about. And that's problem solving in general, okay? And here's the basic concept, then I'll tell you how it ties into your question on morale. Um, what I would say here is find an area where you're low performing as a company or something where there's a symptom, where there's pain, or even better, look at other companies in your industry. And if there's any areas where they're doing better than you, like that's a pretty good sign that you're low performing in that area. And in view, and then as an executive, you then sponsor a team and say, hey, we've got this issue. I believe we're low performing in this way. I'd like you to dig into this, study it, and come back to me with recommendations when you're done. So here's why it relates to morale. People, uh, like 95% 
most of the people out there want to do a good job. They want to be part of a, of a strong, good culture. They want to be asked what they, they want to be involved. If, if the CEO says, you know what, our on-time delivery is too low. And he looks at it and he comes back and says, this is what you guys are going to do. Right. People will do it, but they're going to hate it. <laughs> they're going to hate work and they're going to feel like they're a school kid who's just been sent to the principal's office. If the CEO comes back and says, look, we've gotten some feedback from some of our customers that they're not happy with our delivery. You guys are a cross section of our company. You're, you're the people I rely on. You know, I trust you. Dig into this and tell me what you think. Then they go away and they study the issue. They come up with a solution. They come back and now they're empowered. They're part of the right. future, the improvement. And, and here's the thing. It works. Yeah. It's now not the CEO's idea. It's their idea. And nine times out of 10, their ideas are better than the CEO's right. because they're in the weeds. They're doing the they're work. They're there. Yeah. They're, they're, they're yeah. in the weeds. I was like saying, you know, um, you know, spell out what you, you know, what you want, and then don't tell them how. Yes. They'll, 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 those are the people who need to do the work. And so they'll figure it out better than you, for sure. Exactly. That's and the, 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 the nirvana on that is when they start identifying the things to improve. Right. That's when that's, that's nirvana. And honestly, you're, I, that idea, you could thread through all the things we've talked about, you know. Absolutely. I don't know which number we need. What, what number do you think we should have? And, you know, and have people work on it themselves. That's great. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's all good. Well, this has been great, Tim. Um, uh, super interesting. Um, I think you had a few more, uh, as promised, I'll put them in the description of the video so people can look at those and I'll leave a link to you and your site. And this is great. Thanks for joining me today. Such a pleasure, Mike. You have a great, great night. Hey there, thanks for watching. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to hit that like button and subscribe to hear more content just like that.